Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would save us from weak resignation. All too often, Lord, we confess that we want to be comfortable. So we ask that you would call us to higher ground, call us to new challenges, so that we can know you better. Please open your word, use my words, use your word, and please help my voice to last, uh, so that we can know you better and follow you more. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A friend of mine who works in campus ministry in Corvallis said that one day one of his colleagues went up on a hill overlooking the city to pray. And Corvallis is a very quiet, sleepy kind of college town. And this colleague was, was praying, Lord, show me what is keeping this city from knowing you. What is holding this city back? Give me a sign. And as soon as he was done praying, he got up and he started walking and he noticed a sign in the grass. And it said, do not disturb. And he thought, there's my answer. That phrase sums up the attitude that keeps me and maybe some of you from experiencing the fullness of who Jesus is. I don't want to be disturbed or made uncomfortable, even by Jesus. And I think one of the stereotypes that people have about who Jesus is, is that he's mainly there just to give us comfort. Never disturb us. He's just there to make us feel better. But while it is true that Jesus comforts the disturbed, it is equally true that he disturbs the comfortable. At least the real Jesus of Scripture does. And he does both of those things out of love. And that's what we see happening in the story of the rich young ruler. Here's a man who, like a lot of us, has pretty much everything life has to offer. He's got wealth. He's got status. He's got reputation. But he knows he's missing something, and so he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how do I inherit eternal life? And by that, he doesn't just mean, how do I go to heaven? He means, how can I experience the abundant life here and now? And Jesus says, well, you're going to have to give up whatever it is you're hanging on to more than me. And then you will have the greatest adventure of your life. But because he's very comfortable, he doesn't do that. And he walks away sorrowful and misses out on the adventure. In fact, there's kind of an ironic line in there where it says, he walked away sorrowful for he had many possessions. Right? You know, that doesn't kind of make sense, right? If you have many possessions, you're supposed to be happy. But he knows he's missing out on something. In fact, if you just flip through the rest of the Gospel of Mark, you'd see what he misses out on. If he had let go of his comfort to follow Jesus, he would have seen Jesus heal a blind man. See Jesus clear the temple, seeing the resurrection, the birth of the church. He misses all of that because he wants to be comfortable. And so Jesus never becomes real to him. And in fact, you can kind of imagine this guy years later saying, Ah, oh, Jesus, yeah, I tried him once, but didn't really do much for me. Didn't really leave me a changed person. But that's because he never gave his whole life to Jesus Christ. And I think there are a couple of reasons he doesn't. There's a couple of things that are holding him back, and maybe they hold us back too. And the first is this, money. Money holds this guy back from following Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. In Scripture, money is never considered a bad thing. It's just a tool. But if we turn to it to save us, if we, if we spend our life trying to accumulate it rather than following Jesus, then it will become for us a false god. And it will keep us from knowing the true God. And of all the false gods we serve, money is the most attractive because it can get for us almost everything we want. It's like that line from Gone with the Wind. 
where Scarlett says to Rhett, you know, money can't buy love. And Rhett says, yeah, but it can buy some remarkable substitutes. And it's those remarkable substitutes that just keep us addicted to money. And that's why Jesus says it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because rich people are bad, but because the more wealth we have and the more we tend to rely on our, the more, then the more we tend to rely on ourselves and on our money instead of turning to God. Money's not bad, it's dangerous. And this is true whether we have a little of it or a lot of it. Our obsession with money, our fears about money can keep us from knowing Jesus. I was talking to a man a while back who said, I, I sort of feel like God wants me to go on a mission trip, but I don't have enough money, so I can't go. And I said, oh, forget about the money. Don't worry about the money. God will provide. And so he decided to go. And sure enough, God did provide. And he had a great life-changing experience. Jesus will provide. That's his promise. But we have to lean on him, not our money, or we're going to miss the blessing. The second thing that prevents this young man from fully following Christ is his image, his reputation. This man is a pillar in his community, and he doesn't want to risk that by becoming some kind of Jesus freak. So he has this image to protect. And of all the things that I do not want disturbed, my image is the biggest one. I want everybody to like me. In fact, it would be easier for me to give you a thousand dollars than to say something to you or, or do something uh, that might make you not like me. Even if that was the right thing to do, even if that was for your own good, I'd rather give you a thousand bucks than make you dislike me. Now, I'm not going to give you anything, so don't get excited, but <laughs> I'd rather give you a thousand dollars. And my concern for my image keeps me from really risking to follow Jesus. Because I'm afraid what people will think of me. The last thing that keeps this rich young ruler from experiencing the fullness of Christ is his desire for comfort. He just doesn't want to step outside of his comfort zone. And again, I don't know about you, but this is something that I can relate to. I, my, my desire for comfort often keeps me from really following Jesus with my whole life. Take evangelism as an example. Jesus says that if we share our faith, we will be blessed. And every time I have done it in an authentic way, I have seen him work. I have seen, seen lives changed. It's always this great blessing, but I'm afraid to do it because it's uncomfortable. And I'm afraid what people will think. Or take reconciliation. Jesus calls us to be reconciled with people that we are estranged from. And every time I do that, I am blessed. I see the power of Jesus to bring people together. My relationships grow stronger. But man, is that hard for me to do. Because it's uncomfortable. So my do not disturb attitude keeps me from experiencing the fullness of who Jesus is. And I just miss the blessing he has for me. And I become less than he intended me to be. Now, can you imagine if we approach sports with this same kind of attitude? Can you imagine if an athlete would say to his coach, you know, coach, I, I don't want you to challenge me. I don't want you to push me. I don't want to go to practice. That's uncomfortable. I, I just want you to say nice things to me and pat me on the back and tell me I'm a good person. Just, just be nice. Okay, coach? Oh, but by the way, I'd still like to win a national championship. Can you pull that off? Now, there'd be no way that we would approach sports like that. But sometimes that's how we approach our faith. We want Jesus to comfort us, which he does. He does bring comfort. But we don't want him to challenge us, which he also does. 
But Jesus loves us more than that. He loves us way more than that. And it's out of that love for us that he calls us to step outside of our comfort zones because he loves us. While I was preparing for this sermon, I, I looked back over the last couple of sermons I preached and, and, I, and I noticed that a lot of them were kind of on the prophetic edge, kind of, you know, a little bit maybe challenging, you, you know, go color outside the lines, go serve the poor. And I thought, well, gosh, I, I better stop preaching this kind of sermon or they're not going to like me. So, you know, I better not preach this one because it's in the same vein. And you know how I feel about you not liking me. But then I thought, well, wait a minute, that Jesus isn't being harsh here. The text says he looked at this man and he loved him. And it's because he loved him that he pushes him outside of his comfort zone. When our 21-month-old Jackson was learning to walk, you know, like every kid, he would stand up and then he'd fall down. And almost every time he'd fall down, he would look at us with just this rage on his face. Like, what good are parents anyway? (laughs) Loving parents would have picked me up. I guess you're not loving. Well, of course we didn't pick him up every time he fell because we wanted him to learn how to walk, because we wanted him to have a full life. And that's sort of what Jesus is doing here. He's encouraging us to leave our comfort zones so that we can know him better and have the abundant life that he's promised. So how do we do this? How do we get disturbed so that we can know Jesus better? Well, there's only one way. And Jesus says it in this passage. Whatever it is we're holding on to more than him, we got to let it go. Money, image, comfort, we've got to let it go. Completely. I love the way commentators deal with this passage. When they say, you know, when Jesus says go, sell everything to the, and give to the poor, he doesn't mean that literally. It's really more of a metaphor for sound financial planning. <laughs> no. Sorry. He means it literally. Whatever it is we're hanging on to more than him, we've got to let it go. Now, for this young man, it was money. Jesus doesn't say this to everyone he meets, but for this person, that was his thing, and he had to let it go. If it's image, we've got to risk it for Jesus. If it's comfort, we've got to step outside of our comfort zone and do what he is calling us to do, and then trust that he will provide for us. That's his promise at the end of this passage. He says, yes, this lifestyle will be hard. It will bring you trouble. It will bring you persecution. But I tell you that no one who has left father or mother or brother or or children will fail to receive many more times this and in in the age to come, eternal life. Now, just parenthetically, I'm not exactly sure that that I interpret receiving many more times children as a blessing, but I'll just take Jesus at his word here. Because I think what he's getting at is that when we risk our comfort to follow him, we get at least three things in return. The first is we get to see Jesus at work. Again, think of what this young man missed because he wouldn't follow Jesus. The second thing we get is freedom. I'm sorry, the second thing we get is community with our fellow believers. That's what he means when we have mothers and brothers and fathers and sisters. We have community with each other. And the third thing we get is freedom. Because our desire for comfort, our wealth, our image, all those things can become a trap. And then we're not free. We're in bondage. I have a friend who got a dog. And his next-door neighbor complained that she could hear the dog barking. So my friend put the dog in the house and would never let the dog out except when absolutely necessary. But the neighbor still complained. And my friend said, "You, you can't possibly hear the dog. It's in the house all day. And she said, oh, you're right. 
I can't hear it, but I know it's there, and it bothers me. <laughs> that's not free. That's, that's bondage. And I thought, how, how terrible that her concern for comfort had become this prison, so that even a neighbor's dog becomes something that just confines her. But when we let go of what we're hanging on to, we get Christ, we get community, we get freedom. Let me give you an example. And a few of you may have heard this story from, from Tim Dearborn. A few years ago over at University Presbyterian Church, there was a college student who was going on a summer mission trip. And as part of the training for that summer mission trip, the then missions pastor took them down to the inner city in Seattle and said, I just want you to have a cross-cultural experience. Find some people and, and talk with them, but don't evangelize. Just have a conversation. So this college student went and found a 15-year-old runaway and he started talking, you know, met in a donut shop, and they started talking. And he, he tried really hard to obey the instructions, don't evangelize. But the street kid kept asking questions about God. So what could he do? So pretty soon donut crumbs became analogies for broken lives and donut holes, a metaphor for empty life. And pretty soon this, this student, this, or the street kid, gave his life to Christ. Well, now the college student didn't know what to do. He didn't want to just leave him there. That didn't seem right. You know, glad you know Jesus. Goodbye. But he couldn't take him back to his fraternity because who knows what would happen there, right? So instead, he called his parents, who lived in Bellevue. And he said, Mom, Dad, I have a friend I want to bring home. And then his parents said, Oh, any friend of yours is a friend of ours. Bring him on by. So he brought this street kid home, and his parents were a little shocked at first. But they were Christians, and... They decided to let him stay, and a day turned into a week, and week turns in, turned into months. And pretty soon, this, this kid was a part of their family, and he was delighted. I mean, he was having three square meals a day for the first time in his life. He got to go to school. He got new shoes. And the parents ended up really loving this, this street kid. Now, unfortunately, the story kind of takes a tragic turn because one night, the street kid was in bed, and he wakes up with a terrible headache, and the parents rush him to the hospital, and it turns out he has an inoperable aneurysm. And at this point, the parents are just crushed there because they've gotten to really love this kid and they're, they're crying. But the kid said this amazing thing. He said, you know, I don't like this either. I find this frightening. But if everything you've been telling me is true, then I'm going to a better place. And in the last few months, I've experienced what I never thought I could experience before. I've had real meals. I've had a family. I, I didn't think this was possible. And, and you all have told me that heaven is even better than Bellevue. <laughs> so why are you crying? Now, I think eventually the kid did die, but that's a healing and a freedom of sorts because he got to go be with the Lord. But in the meantime, this suburban family was also healed and set free because they were willing to be disturbed, to go outside of their comfort zone. They got to see Jesus work in some pretty amazing ways. You know, they got to see this kid's life turn around. They got community with someone that they might otherwise have been afraid of. And suddenly the suburbs were no longer a prison and the world wasn't scary. And they got to experience the kingdom of God right here in Bellevue because they didn't lean on their money or their image or their reputation. They leaned on Jesus, got out of their comfort zone, and they were blessed. You know, preachers always live the passages they preach on. And this theme has been a big one for me ever since last April when I began to realize that God was calling me away from Menlo Park, which was a very comfortable place for me. And everybody knew me. It was home. It was sunny. 
and becoming senior pastor of a large church when I had never been senior pastor before wasn't exactly comfortable, especially for a worrier like me. And, and before I came here, I'd get all these worried thoughts, things like, what if I fail? What if they don't like me? This could all go very badly. And one of my students just made matters worse. At one point he said to me, what if, what if God really wants that church to go out of business? So he called you to do the job. <laughs> and, and for a minute, I, I, I mean, that kind of caught me. And I thought, what if that's true? <laughs> what if God surveyed the entire Presbyterian denomination and he said, Dudley, he's my man. If he can't kill it, nobody can. I just parenthetically, I don't think God called me here to kill the church. God's too active here. I don't think even I could do that. But it was definitely out of my comfort zone to come here. And yet, something in this call has made me feel like God really loves me. Because he wants me to grow. He wants me to, to know him better. And it felt like God was saying, Scott, you've become too comfortable. We've, we've got to move to a new situation. You know, when you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you're rotting. And Scott, you're ripe. <laughs> Time for a new challenge. Not because God is mean, not because God is harsh, but because he loves me. And he wants me to grow and he wants me to lean on him. And he wants me to have an abundant life. And I'm glad I came because y'all have been wonderful. And I like you. And this church is so amazing because God is so clearly at work in it. And I have had to lean on Jesus more than I ever have before. And that's the point here. That's the whole thing. We're called to lean on Jesus. And there's absolutely no way that any of us can take this kind of, uh, these uncomfortable steps and this kind of risky lifestyle unless we lean completely on Jesus Christ. Not our money, not our reputation, not our comfort, only on Jesus. And that's what he says in this text. With humans, this kind of risky life is absolutely impossible. But with Jesus, all things are possible. Whatever it is we're hanging on to that keeps us from giving our whole lives to him, we've got to let it go or we're going to miss the blessing. Money, give it away. He'll just provide. Reputation, risk it for him to see the better thing, the bigger thing that he's going to do. Comfort, let it go and experience the power of Jesus Christ moving in your life. And even if we die serving him, so what? will just be raised to new life like he was. What is it that you don't want to be disturbed? What are you afraid to risk in order to follow Jesus? Stop living for those things. Give them up. And when we do, we're going to find out what living is really for. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to call us out of our comfort zone. Lord, we ask that you would take our lives, take our minds, take our hearts, and consecrate them to you. And Lord, teach us to take risks to follow you so that we can know you better and so that the whole world can know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.